Amen. Thank you, Donna. Thank you for that great reminder this morning. Let's take our Bibles, please, turn to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1 this morning. And uh, we're going to look at a few verses here. And I had a message prepared, and uh, I was going over to my office before the service, and it just felt like it was much too in-depth and too long for an online service. And I understand, as I watch online services as well, how many distractions there are in the home, and so I'll save that for another time. Uh, But as I was reading through that message, one verse jumped out from that passage or from that message, and God began to stir my heart, and I was reading through that passage, and God gave me a few thoughts, and I jotted them down, and I hope that it'll be a help to you this morning. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and uh, Austin is just sending me a message right before while Donna is singing. He says, do you have a title? And I said, gospel-centered, and so I don't know if he got that. I think he did. And uh, maybe he did. And, and uh, well, anyway, uh, that's the title of our message this morning, being gospel-centered. You know, everything we do, every ministry we have in the local church ought to be centered around the gospel. And whether we are discipling people, whether we are fellowshipping, uh, we fellowship. The Bible says this, we fellowship in the gospel. Uh, our faith is in the gospel. And so it's, it's an important thing that we are a gospel-centered church. And here's, here's the interesting fact about it. Many, many, many so-called churches today have moved away from that one thing. They've moved away from the gospel. They believe in all kinds of other things in the Bible about being, having goodwill, being kind to your brother, and, and all those things that we, we preach about from time to time. They believe in all those things, but they have moved away from the gospel. They, they don't like the idea of the blood. We just, uh, last Sunday night, we had kind of that hymn service where we, we played the guitars and we, we had some hymn histories. And I was sharing with the, with the group ahead of time that the song, There is a Fountain Filled with Blood, drawn from Emmanuel's vein, written in the 1800s, by the time it began to circulate, people began to, uh, that were putting it into hymn books, began to change the words already. And uh, from Calvary's cross, a fountain flowed. They, they took out the word blood, and they didn't like the idea of Emmanuel's veins or uh, uh, that, uh, that we were wretched sinners. And they began to take those different parts of the song out. But believers, as they heard those new hymns or the alterations of those old hymns, they rejected them right away because they said, no, the blood is foundational to, to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many have shied away from that. And it's sad to see, and I just want to, if I can, make a statement this morning as a foundation of our faith and a fundamental of our faith, that Bethel Baptist Church ought to always be centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so let's look at the word of God this morning. The Bible says in verse 16 of Romans chapter 1, a familiar verse, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, 
In the next few moments, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. For those that know Christ, Lord, may we reset our minds to the very fact that we must be centered upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that is the very foundation of our faith. That when Jesus said that the wise men who built his house upon the rock, he said, it is for those that hear these sayings of mine and do them. That is the foundation, the very word of God, the gospel that is given to us in the word of God today. So Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, may the spirit of God teach us. Fill me, I pray, as as I strive to deliver this thing you've laid upon my heart just a few moments ago. And God, we ask that you would be pleased that sinners would be challenged to accept the gospel of Christ and that believers would be challenged to reset their hearts and minds that we are not a social center. We are a gospel Bible preaching church centered upon the salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, we had rented a building in Stony Creek, Ontario for our church to meet in. And I remember we were sharing it with another group and they had their own auditorium and their own space and their own classrooms and we had our own auditorium and classrooms and such. And, and uh, I remember talking to the minister there. Uh, he didn't refer to himself as a pastor and, and, and whatever and that's fine, but he called himself the minister and we began to talk about it and he said, you know, he says this building... He says, it's been here since about 1835, I believe it was. He says, we had another building before that down the street, and it was destroyed during the War of 1812. And he says, it took several years to build another building, and they met in different places until they could build a new building after the war. And, and so he says, but he says, the church dates back to the 1780s. He says, we are the oldest social center in southern Ontario. That's what he called it. I sad in my heart to hear that a church was referred to as a social center. Now, don't get me wrong, fellowship is an important part of what we do as a church. If a church is not offering fellowship to every age group, people are going to go elsewhere. They, they crave fellowship in the gospel. They need to have iron sharpening iron. They need to be challenged in their faith by their peers. And they need that encouragement and exhortation and the help and all those things that the Bible says fellowship is important for. But that is not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to be gospel-centered. Paul said this, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. As I read that verse this morning in my office, I began to think about Paul's focus on the gospel. Everywhere Paul went, that's what he did. He preached the gospel and established local churches. There wasn't a ton of time for him for fellowship. He would move on to the next area and he would install elders and pastors and they would disciple the people and they would fellowship with the people and they would encourage the people. And and Paul from time to time would write letters of doctrine back to them. But his focus was the gospel. Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. And he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And we often look at that word ashamed and we think of something that might embarrass us or something that might uh, cause us to blush. And and of course, that's what the word means. And we look at it in this aspect and say, you know, there have been times where I I didn't want people to know I was a believer necessarily, or I, I didn't want people to know I went to church, or I didn't want people to laugh at me because of my faith. And there have been times in weakness, I, I'm sure, that each of us have faced this moment where we are ashamed 
But there's another side of the coin. When we think of the word, I am not ashamed, it literally means that which we are most proud of. The thing that we like to show off. You know, everybody that has a baby or a grandbaby, they like to show that baby off. I mean, and I'm just going to be blunt with you and honest with you, it doesn't matter how ugly that baby is. They think it's gorgeous. They think it's the most beautiful thing that ever happened. And, and so they, they want to show those pictures. And I remember doing the same when our kids came along and we had children. We couldn't wait to show them off. And, and Bethany was born during SARS and we were disappointed that nobody could come to the hospital and nobody could share in our joy. And it's that thing that we want to show off, the thing that we're proud of, the thing we want to share with others. And, and that's what it means when it says, I am not ashamed, not just that we would blush if we were in, in a negative sense, but we'd be proud in a positive sense to show off the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says, everywhere I went, I preached the gospel. Everywhere I went, I lifted up Jesus Christ. Why? Because I am not ashamed. I am proud of who he is. I'm pleased that I follow him and I want to lift up his blessed name to the lost. Where is our focus? In Daniel chapter 3, we read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three Hebrew children were faced with a choice, weren't they? And really, if you were to ask them, they would say, it's no choice. We we will only obey God. There is no other choice. As Nebuchadnezzar set up that uh, uh, image on the plains and, and said, when the trumpets blow, you must bow down. And they said, oh, king, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Our God, he'll sustain us. If you throw us in a fiery pit, it doesn't matter. But let it be known to you this day, we will not bow. We will not bow. What were they saying? We are not ashamed of God. We are not ashamed to tell you that we will stand for God. That we will not bow down to a false idol. We will not cave to the ways of this world. And, and we have to ask ourselves as we read Romans 1.16 and everyone that is listening today, uh, here or online, friends, are you, are you ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Is it that thing which you are most proud of? It is that thing that you want to show off. Are you known for being a gospel preacher? You know, I, my wife and I, we were watching this this police program. And one of the police officers was known for his faith. And his nickname was Deacon. Deacon. I go back into my ancestry, and I, I, I've told you before, I researched my ancestry a little bit because so many of my, my dad's family especially have died young and nobody's really passed it on. And as I have researched the history, my mom's family comes from the Doan family, and one of the Doan men was named Deacon John Doan. His nickname was Deacon, and it followed him through his ancestry because he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It was something that he wore openly. It was something that everybody could see, and they named him Deacon. I don't know if he literally served as a deacon in his church, but the word deacon means a servant of Jesus Christ. And and it was so visible and so obvious in his life that it even followed him in the ancestry. And we're talking three, four hundred years ago, but he is known today still as deacon John Doan. What do people know us as? I would dare say as the Apostle Paul moved into a town, Philippi, Colossae, Ephesus, wherever, People would say, 
Here comes that preacher. Here comes that guy that's always telling people to get right. Here comes that guy that's always talking about Jesus. Here's that guy that is preaching. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What can be said about us? Are we not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? So Paul's focus was on the gospel. But we notice the second thing here. We notice the force of the gospel. The Bible says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God. Now, I would dare say this, that the the power of salvation comes only if we give them the full gospel. I think so many times today we, we're, we're tentative to leave out certain parts of the gospel. And let me illustrate, if I may, several years ago, a friend of mine lost his wife. And when it came time to do her funeral, he came to me and he said, would you, he says, you, you can preach whatever you want, whatever the Lord leads. He says, but would you be able to work this passage of scripture in? He says, whether you preach on it or refer to it during your message or give it during an invitation, whatever. He says, but it's important to me for my family to hear this part of the scriptures. I said, absolutely. So I began to read the passage and pray over it. And I thought, okay, I'll I'll preach on it. I'll honor his request. It is a gospel passage and it's important that we share it. And and so I, I preached from that passage, and the passage talked about heaven, and it talked about hell, and, and it, was, it was the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus lifted up his eyes, being in torment in this flame. And I didn't focus on that part of the scripture. We were at a funeral, and people were already grieving, and I didn't want to add sorrow to their grief, uh, but the gospel is very clear. And so I, I read the passage about hell, and the, lifted, and the focus that the gentleman wanted me to share was that the, he said, go and tell my brothers. He says, I, 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 I need that idea that, that if, if, he says, my wife, I know she was saved and she's in heaven today. And he says, but I, I, and she would want her family to be saved. He says, but I also want that idea if somebody ends up in hell, they want their family to be saved. Everybody in eternity wants their family to know Christ. They either want them to go to heaven or they don't want them to go to hell. And so I read the passage and I shared some thoughts on heaven and shared some thoughts on hell. And I preached about going and telling our brothers, letting them know that eternity is real and that that they, they call unto us to accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Several years later, that man would also go home to be with the Lord. A few weeks before he died, he would ask me if I would preach his funeral knowing that he wasn't well. His daughter came to me in the hospital, and she's a Bible believer. She knows the Lord. and She said, you know, she says, when it comes time for the funeral, she says, I, I just want you to know that a lot of our, the grandkids, they've slipped away from the Lord. He said, they don't respond very well to hellfire and brimstone preaching. And I said, well, I said, you know, it's a funeral. We usually try to be gentle. And she went, she kind of shook her head, No. She says, well, that mom's, you kind of got fired up about hell. And I said, well, I said, you understand that is part of the gospel. And I said, you understand that I was asked to preach that by her husband. And and I said, but we emphasized the gospel to be saved from hell. I said, if there's no hell, why do we need to be saved from it? 
So when the time came from the funeral, we talked about it more. And then when the time came from the funeral, they had a different pastor do it. I, I gave a eulogy and sang, but they didn't want me to preach. The preacher that did the funeral did the same thing. He preached the gospel and included hell. We cannot just give part of the gospel. Notice what the scripture says. The force of the gospel is the power of God. Notice, first of all, the content. When we think about the gospel, we can't just give part. We must give whole. And he, notice the content of the gospel. Verse 17 says, For therein, in the gospel message, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. The content of the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. God is holy. God is always right. A lot of people today say, I don't, I don't believe in a vengeful God. I don't like the idea of a God that rains down on Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't like the idea of a God that has created a hell. But by the way, hell was not created for you. It was created for the devil and his angels. And, and when we reject God, we choose to go there. But God is a righteous God and a holy God. We must always remember that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Then we see, secondly, the content of the gospel is the righteousness of God, but we also see the wrath of God in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven as well. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And I, I really believe today that so few get saved because there's no fear of God. We, we preach a God that is love, and God is love. And we preach about his mercy and his grace, and God is full of mercy and grace. Don't get me wrong. But people don't fear God anymore. If there's no fear of hell, if there's no fear of his righteousness and no fear of his wrath, what do they have to fear at all? It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. And then we see uh, the content of the gospel is the righteousness of God, the wrath of God, and the revelation of God. Verse 19, because of that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shown it unto them. What's it saying? It says even the wicked, the ungodly, the unrighteous, they know of God. It's been revealed to them. Verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So many people ask the question, what about those off in some deep, dark place that have never heard the gospel? God says, everybody is aware. God has revealed himself to all, and no man has an excuse. That's the revelation of God. You say, oh, I, I have never read a Bible, but God says, oh, no, I've manifest myself unto you, and I've showed it unto them, because the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood, listen, you know, when your children are born, there are certain instincts that they have that God has put right in their heart. You never have to tell a baby to eat. Immediately, they, they, they start what they call rooting, looking for food. They know they have an instinct within them. It's, it's time to eat. They've never eaten before in their life. They've never been taught that concept, but God puts it within them. 
Their heart never has to be told to beat. They're, they're, they never have to be told. They, when they take that first breath, they're not taught to do that. It just happens. God has put it within them. And I believe that God puts a consciousness within everybody because nature has revealed to us that there is a God. They may not understand all of the gospel message, but they understand there is a God. And the focus of the gospel and the force of the gospel is the power of God. And it reveals God to a lost and dying world. That's the content of the gospel. We can't leave out the righteousness of God or the wrath of God. We must preach the whole gospel. But then we see the conviction of the gospel. In verse 20, it uses those words right at the end, so that they are without excuse. God reveals himself to everyone. Listen, I am not talking about extra biblical revelation. I'm not not talking about that. But I'm saying this, that the Bible says that nature itself declares the glory of God. That we can behold his hand in the firmament. We know that there is a God, and I believe a lost and dying person can go out into the world and say, there must be more, there must be a God, and God will reveal himself. And they will see, and God will give them the gospel. The force of God has the power to convict lives as God is revealed, the Bible says, from faith to faith. I want you to notice thirdly the faith of the gospel. Look back in verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Many would love to leave that phrase out. They believe in a universal gospel. Christ died on the cross and it is sufficient to pay the price of sins for the world. And by the way, it is sufficient, but you must believe. You must have faith in the gospel. It is to everyone that believeth. The Bible very plainly says it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Everybody can be saved by the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God if they'll put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. Number one, it is fundamental. It is fundamental. Verse 17 says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. It justifies us. It makes us just. The just shall live by faith. The word justifies means literally uh, that we are justified in the sight of God, that our sins, though they cannot be excused, they are now paid for by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you must have faith. The just shall live by faith. It is fundamental. It is foundational. Notice what he says, the just shall live. There's no other way to live. If you're going to have eternal life, if you're going to have life in Christ, if you're going to be a new creature, there's no other way to live. We must live by faith. That is an answer that comes to us from the prophet of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, that says the just shall live by faith. All the commandments of the Old Testament, I believe there were 630 of them that we find in the Pentateuch, and it carries through and it just boils all down to this. In the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. Do you have faith in Christ? Are you living by faith daily? It is, it is fundamental, but it is foundational to your life. It is that rock upon which we stand. It is fundamental, it is foundational, but it is not fickle. There's no watering down the gospel. 
You can't just say, well, I believe everybody goes to heaven, or I believe that all the faiths go to heaven, or I believe that if I go to church, no, no, there's, it's black and white. It is not fickle in any way. It doesn't change to accommodate culture. The gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just as Christ is. The Bible says in verse 17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Hey, listen, that is Bible truth. You cannot take a part of the gospel. First John chapter 5, verse 12 says, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It is black and white. The Bible says in him was light and there was no darkness at all. There, there's no shadow of turning with God, the Bible says. Great is thy faithfulness. There, we, we just need to understand that there's truth and there's lie. There's truth and there's falsehood. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Those are all definite articles. That mean he is the only way. You say, why is that so important? Because I think we can sometimes very easily stray. I've seen many times when people lose loved ones that they water down the gospel to satisfy their conscience. I remember seeing people that have lost loved ones and almost assuredly without Christ. Never made a profession of faith, never ever had a, the joy of Jesus Christ in their life, lived a wicked lifestyle, and short of calling out to Christ on their deathbed, there's no doubt they spent eternity in hell. And yet, saved people will say, well, we look forward to seeing them again one day. Or they're in heaven being reunited with a loved one. There's this idea that we can reject the gospel and still make it to heaven. Friends, that is not true at all. If that were true, why did Christ have to die? Why did Jesus Christ extend the invitation that whosoever will may come? Let's be careful that we remain gospel-centered. Don't lie to yourself and don't lie to your friends about an easier way. We must all come through the cross of Christ. We must all come through the blood. The Bible says that every man will stand without excuse. It is given unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. But every man shall give account of himself unto God. That's who we answer to. You can't stand before God and say, well, God, I thought if. Why did you think that when I wrote this? Well, God, I... I assume that if I went to church, why would you assume that? When I wrote this, without the shedding blood, there is no remission of sin. How can you be justified without Christ? How can you have the propitiation of sins without Christ? How can you put away your sin without Christ? Why would you assume that when I wrote this? Are we gospel-centered? And friend, maybe today you're watching and you say, I don't know if I've ever trusted Christ. I'm, I'm hoping that I'm good enough. Hope won't get you to heaven unless it's the blessed hope of Jesus Christ. He alone can save you. He alone died on the cross. Let's bow our heads right where we are. Maybe there's one today that 
Say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. And right where you are, would you spend some time in prayer with God? There's going to be a number that pops up on your screen in a moment. You can call that number. You can text us. You can email us. You can call the church this week. We'd be happy to take the Bible and show you what the gospel is. Listen, I don't want you to ever forget that God is full of mercy and grace and love. But he's also truth and righteousness and holiness. The wrath of God abideth on us as long as we are outside looking in. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? It'll satisfy the very wrath of God. It'll pay the price for your sins. It'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness that you might live eternally with him. Ask yourself those questions, then call us today, this week sometime. Let us help you. You can simply ask Jesus Christ to save you. You can pray something like, Lord, I I know I'm a sinner and I'm lost. And I realize now that I can only be saved by what the Bible says, the gospel message. But I must come through Jesus Christ who died to pay the price for my sins. I receive you now and ask you to forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe there's a believer today that says, you know, Pastor, I've done just that. There's been times of grief and sorrow where I've tried to lighten my load by watering down the gospel, thinking somebody might have made it to heaven because I've changed the gospel message to adapt to their need. I'm not here to question the mercy and grace of God and whatever God does in a deathbed scenario. But I'm here to say let's be gospel-centered and gospel-focused because it'll motivate us to make sure they're saved before they die. To tell them about the precious gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Are we gospel-centered? If you're in a ministry in our church, Sunday school, master clubs, bus ministry, whatever, is your ministry gospel-centered? Is that the goal? Is that the focus? I think of it like a big funnel. We have all these things floating around at the top, that fellowship and bus ministries and all the things, but eventually as it drains down, it gets down to that focal point right at the bottom, the gospel. That's where we're headed. That's where we should be aiming for. Are we gospel-centered? Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that you challenge our hearts with these thoughts this morning. Speak to us, we pray. Lord, if there's one that knows not Christ, may today be the day of salvation. Help them, we pray. Lord, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. I pray that they never forget the truth and reality of eternal life. That the only way is through that straight and narrow way, the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation through the cross, through the blood. Thank you for paying the price. In Jesus' name, amen.